Hello listeners and welcome back to another episode of the Plus Dave podcast. We are of course the Tottenham Hotspur theme show that's brought to you by a team of Spurs fans and a Leeds fan called Dave. And this week we do have the Leeds fan called Dave. We are back to our full team this week, which I'm sure you're all delighted to hear. Sadly, of course, as we all know, Tottenham are missing one very important component of what has been their team for a long time. And of course, that is very high on the agenda. We all left you off last week, all pretty confident, naively perhaps you could say, that Harry Kane was going to be a Spurs player this season. Uh, of course, that is no longer the case. He has signed for Bayern Munich. And we are, of course, going to talk a little bit about Harry in general and about what the future holds for Spurs without him. Of course, the football season has started. So we're going to talk about the Brentford game, a two-all draw, and we're going to have a look ahead to our upcoming fixture, first home game of the season with Manchester United. Huge game. So we've got that one to look forward to again. As I say, we've got the whole team back this week, so uh, can't wait to get stuck into it. Let's talk about the football. The season's here. First of all, I am going to welcome back Dave after a week off. Dave, are you happy that the Hurricane saga is over and that maybe we might go a few weeks in future where we won't be talking about him after this week, of course? Um, not happy that it's over. You know, it was fun to talk about. Uh, I'm happy with the way it's ended for you in the, in the immediacy, in the sense that I know you're all quite sad that he's gone. You know the old phrase, everything happens for a reason. I think the more and more I thought about it and the more and more I heard socks in my ear and more and more I thought that he was right and that and that this is probably the best thing that could happen under the circumstances. So onwards and upwards for you guys, I think. Let's see. Well, thank you for your trolling message from the beach last week. I have to say that entertained all of us very much. It was funny because when you left it, we were sitting around all pretty much thinking, yeah, he's probably going to stay. He's probably going to stay. Dave looks really silly now winding us up. And then, of course, by the time the episode went up, it was a done deal. And then we all looked really, really silly. Uh, Socks, this is what you wanted as, uh, I guess, a lesser of two evils. You've been advocating for us selling Kane this summer. Now that it's actually happened and we're having to face the cold, hard reality of it, how are you left feeling? Yeah, fine. Honestly, surprisingly, <laughs> I, I, I've gone through enough kind of Tottenham-related heartbreaks through. Yeah. I remember being sat on a beach in Cyprus in 2006, where my dad told me that we just sold Michael Carrick to Man United, and I burst out crying into my calamari, <laughs> and everybody on the beach thought I was absolutely mental. That was because I was slightly too young to maybe really understand the proper impact of Sol Campbell, because yeah. I would have been about nine at the time. Carrick was my first proper one, and they all get slightly easier since. But yeah, I made my case a few weeks ago for why I thought it was the lesser of two evils like you said I'm glad yeah. it got done before the season even if we left it right at the end I'm surprised that the fee was as high as it was I mean there were reports that it was up to 120 million pounds not euros mm. including add-ons uh, I mean we were all saying okay if we get 100 million quid then that would be a good deal so if that is accurate I think the German side are saying it's 120 million euros and the English insurance are saying 120 million pounds so the reality is somewhere in the middle yeah. but either way I suppose the next question now is what we do with that money and when what that looks like over the coming weeks but yeah glad it's done yeah. and I think we're all slowly but surely getting over it. That is indeed a big question and one I'm sure we'll touch on today. Speaking of Tottenham Hotspur and Man United related heartbreak, they went through an extended period of time of stealing all of our best players, one of which was, of course, Teddy Sheringham way back in the day. Elio, do you remember what we did when there were rumours of Teddy Sheringham going to Man United from Spurs back in the late 90s? We printed off a poster of Teddy Sheringham on which we'd written a please don't leave us uh, love letter to him. I assume he did receive it and didn't care or didn't receive it. And if he had received it, would have stayed. It's one of those two options. But uh, yeah, yeah, that was heartbreak number one for us, wasn't it? It was indeed. Yeah. One of many. Yeah. 
Where does this one rank is the big question. Because, of course, there have been lots of different types of Spurs departures, ranging from the Sol Campbells um, to the Gareth Bales. Where does this rank? You know, it's a time? hard one. Um, Michael Carrick, for me, wasn't as huge a heartbreak as it was for Sox, because I'd already had a few <laughs> by then. Obviously, he was a wonderful player, but at that point, we thought we were also getting away with murder, getting 20-odd million for him, and buying Didier Zakora for 8 million. <laughs> Little did we know that Didier Zakora wasn't really a footballer. So, um, that, that that was pretty bad, but Sharingham, Sol Campbell was a heartbreak for anger as much as anything else. Anger that hasn't mm-hmm. subsided to this day. For me, the big one, you know, was David Ginola. He was the yeah. only reason to turn on the TV or to go to White Hart Lane for three years, and he was forced out by a Guna bastard. So that that was pretty <laughs> shit. I'd say this is a comfortable top five. I mean, it's up there with probably the guys we've just mentioned. Berbatov was obviously an absolutely horrendous one as well. Modric yeah. was probably more horrendous with hindsight than at the time. But I think, yeah, this is probably fifth, fourth, third. I think the fact that we've got so much buzz and optimism around the club at the moment is massively numbing the pain of losing Kane. Not because Kane isn't yeah. the best player we've had at Spurs in all our lifetimes. He is. But we're actually seemingly going to be on an upward trajectory. When we lost all those other guys, Campbell, Ginola, Sheringham, Berbatov, they were the absolute centrepieces. They were the only reason to really watch Spurs individually. They were the gold amidst all the mud. Harry Kane, for the majority of time, it has been the jewel in the crown, but it has been a crown. It hasn't Mm. been a wasteland. And even in a bad season last season, we still have good players that we know underperformed last season. So this doesn't hurt in the same way because there's not that feeling of desperation. What are we going to do now, if that makes sense? No, it definitely makes sense. I think Harry Kane would probably be slightly offended if he heard that he'd just cracked your top five Spurs heartbreaks. I think he'd want to be at least in the top two. A few stats. Let's just run through a few. Because obviously it is worth mentioning that even though we might have seen this coming for a little while, absolutely fantastic for Spurs in 14 years. The man who was dubbed a one-season wonder went on to score 280 goals for Spurs, 213, of course, in the Premier League. Uh, The most Premier League goals for a single club and the most matches scored in in a 38-game season. That's why I didn't know. He's the fastest to ever get to 200 goals. He has the most consecutive 15-plus goal seasons, being nine in the Premier League. And he has a record for the most goals in a calendar year in the Premier League with 39 in 2017. Did anyone know that? Of course you did. You're better Spurs fans than me. Um, Isn't this where Dave's supposed to come in and say, what a trophy? I was waiting for him to stop oh, well, and then say, and how many trophies? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, Dave. He did win three golden boot trophies, which I would definitely say counts. And he has the most joint most headed goals in the Premier League, along with... Spurs legend? Three meter Peter. Peter Crouch. Indeed, indeed. Most combined goals with Son, of course, and the most in a season combined with another player in 14. He had the most assists in a single game, which was against whom? Uh, uh, Southampton. Southampton, all for Son, joint with several others, in fairness. Uh, he has the most player of the month awards, joint with Aguero with seven. And he is, of course, England's record goal scorer all during his time as a Spurs player. So the boy didn't do bad, one of our well, own. Well, thanks a lot, Dagus. I was optimistic and was feeling relatively okay. <laughs> and just sent me into a whirlwind of depression. Well, Elio, if I trust anybody to find the next Harry Kane, it is you. Because I'm going to take this opportunity to remind all of our listeners that you, in fact, discovered Harry Kane way back in 2013. 
I've got an excerpt here from Spurs Community where Elio mentioned the following about Harry Kane. He has some lovely things to say. And this was 2013, so this was basically before he really broke through at all. Great goal last night. Looked very good when he came on. Sheringham-esque is a decent description. Not going to pin it to him just yet, though, as Sheringham is the most intelligent English footballer of the past two decades. Well, him and Letizia. I think the boy has a future with us. He could well become genuine competition to Soldado slash a different type of option to Soldado if he pushed on from this. As last night, he showed three great finishes with his three shots, great awareness, and a lot of fight too when others were flagging. He also has a touch more pace than I'd previously accredited to him. So Elio, you saw it coming. You were the first one to stand up when everyone said this boy was a donkey and had nothing in his future. You stood up and you vouched for Harry Kane. Are you feeling a bit smug right now? I mean, I'll take any option. More smug than usual. I mean, I'm usually quite smug, but yeah, <laughs> I, I I do feel vindicated by the last 10 years, but I would happily trade that for us having given Harry Kane enough to stay with us by way of silverware, by way of success in that time. And don't get me wrong, I'm not one of these Spurs fans that goes, oh, the club, Enoch, blah, 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 failed Harry Kane. I mean, he's had everything he's had in his career as a result of us just as much as we've got enjoyment as a result of him but what I will say is it it does feel weird to have had the best player in the league for that time arguably along with sort of your De Bruyne's and Salah's etc it does feel weird to have had someone that talented in a team that was at one point as good as it was and have nothing to show for it once he's left and I guess when you hear yourself say that out loud it does make you well it doesn't make you wish him the best he's gone but it does make you think okay I get it fair enough yeah so you're delighted that he has already failed to win a trophy in his first game with Bayern Munich yeah I mean imagine if he'd won a trophy with Bayern Munich even though it's basically a friend it's their charity (laughs) shield imagine if he'd won that trophy and then had all these journalists sort of talking all about Harry Kane one day gone already got something in his cabinet yeah add another one to the list of players that have left Spurs and then gone on to win something so I guess we've got to talk about life after Harry Kane Dave is Dave is like that kid in class that knows the answer and is desperate I was just about to say just thinking about that is it too soon to say that Kane was the problem no, it definitely because, was. He's brought the I mean, curse of Spurs along who, with him. Who would have thought that Leipzig would, be, would win the Super Cup 3-0 when they've <laughs> never won it before? In his defence, I think it was already 2-0 by the time he yeah, came yeah, off the Yeah, yeah, I watched it. So I don't think we could pin this one on Kane. It's, his mid-presence means no trophies. Exactly. Which bodes well for this season. Well, I did enjoy the clip of Harry Kane going over to remonstrate with the referee yeah. and then realising that he didn't speak German. <laughs> yeah. He just looks, he's got this dull expression on his face like, oh, I didn't think this through. Dave, obviously, Harry Kane's gone. We now have a chance of winning a trophy because he's taken the curse with him, I suppose. Uh, How does life go on without Harry Kane? Is there a version of Spurs, either now or in the near future, where we can actually become greater than the sum of our parts? Could we, in theory be a better team without him. Well, I think that's what you need to rely on because as we've already said, so in several different versions of this podcast and as Anish Postacoglu fantastically retorted to one of the uh, journalists who asked him the question, I don't think there's a like for like replacement for Harry Kane. So you have to have faith that you can improve on your team by putting someone where Kane was who is a better fit for the system that Postacoglu wants to play. Whether we have seen the initial fruits of that with the Brentford game, I'm not so sure because I think we'll talk about it in a bit more detail, but I would say the main thing that disappointed was probably the front three. But that might come with time. And you've got £100 million in the bank to uh, fix it if it doesn't work. We do indeed. So, life after Kane. Of course, we have a new captain. Hugo's gone. Kane's gone. 
Son has been named as our cat's in socks. You've said quite a lot about Son Heung-min the last couple of weeks. I think you had your question marks over how well he might fit in longer term. He's been named captain. Keen to get your thoughts on that. But also, we've had a couple of vice captains confirmed as well in Madison and Romero. Do you think there's a part of Andrew's thinking that is Son's captain, but I don't know if he's necessarily going to start every game for me this season. So let's let's get these guys teed up as backups. What do you think of the whole thing? Yeah, I, I think it's definitely multifaceted. I think that's definitely one aspect of it. I think the other is that Son turns 31 in June, July, and there have already been rumours starting about Saudi Arabia poaching him next year. So I think yeah. you have a situation whereby, if I'm to speculate, you are preparing one of Romero Madison to take the mantle in 12 months' time. But I think it's a really, really smart move. You have Son, who's probably the most senior, well-respected person in the dressing room overall. You have yeah. James Madison, who's obviously quite a big personality and probably is friends with a hell of a lot of them in the group. And you've got World Cup winner Christian Romero. So you have someone who has won the biggest thing there is to win in the game. Obviously, James Madison has an FA Cup to his name. And okay, Hung Min Son has the <laughs> under-23 Asia Games or whatever, but it's... Hey. He avoided military service. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's his but you do have the, the spine of the side and they all have an element of leadership in their own way. So yeah, I, I thought it was a good enough decision. Personally, I've, I've never put any stock into captains anyway, because if you're a leader, on, I know it's a bit of a cliche, but it is true. If you're a leader on the pitch, you're a leader. You don't need the armband to be yeah. the pointy, shouty guy. I mean, we'll talk about him, I'm sure. But you look at someone like Basuma, and clearly he has the character, personality, yeah. and just the way he plays on the pitch where he's exuding leadership qualities. So he doesn't need to have... We don't need a vice 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 captain to have another leader in the middle of the park so no i thought it was a smart decision but yeah i'm not reading it's not going to transform anything or anything like that yeah fair enough lead by example i think is the message there uh speaking of son socks you mentioned last week which is timely you mentioned that our email address has been sorely neglected in recent weeks and we only ever really seem to be getting emails from our dads do we have anything this week yeah, believe it or not, from a dad. <laughs> you saw that one coming. <laughs> Mine, specifically. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it was timely. I'll, I'll read it out. I he think, says, I think it's time. Well, just to kind of set the scene, he specifically wants to be referred to as Sir Keith. So I will I will go there just because of his admiration for Keith Richards of Rolling Stone. So I of will course. refer to him as such. So Sir yeah. Keith, a.k.a. Dad, has written into us. And by written in, I mean he sent me a WhatsApp message yeah. saying, son should be given the honor of having one of our own son to him. He's been with us for years, has never complained, loves it despite there being no trophies, and has refused huge money to keep playing for us. He's cried genuine tears when we lost big games when nobody else has. Who else has shown that they care as much as he has? He's genuinely one of our own. Your podcast should be the launch of this movement. If I am at the Man United game at the start of the season at the right bolt age of 86, I shall be singing it solo. <laughs> I love that. And I believe it too. I'm, I'm on board with that personally. Not that I'm going to be at the game, but I, I like it and I support this movement. So to anyone listening, if you're going to be at the game, however few of you there might be, get involved in it. Um, Elio, before we start tearing into Son and saying how he didn't have a great performance against <laughs> Denver, which is inevitable at some point with the greatest of respects. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Quick word for Sonny. Um, I mean, he deserves to be our centerpiece and our most admired player. Everything Sox just said is true. The only arguments I'd have against something like that is I don't even think Son has his own song yet, or if he does, it's not something that's regularly sung, nothing that I can remember. And for yeah. his first sort of loudly and sort of regularly sung song to just be a Harry Kane cover version would almost <laughs> be disrespectful down. to him. It's a bit like the <laughs> fact that Ledley King's songs kept referring yeah. to either Saul Campbell or John Terry as opposed to just being about Ledley King. So 
Yes, I do think something should be done to make Son feel a little bit special. He probably should, given that I think he's won Player of the Year for us several times, and Harry Kane only the once, for instance. I'm not sure giving him Kane song is the right way to go about things. I think he deserves a bit more effort than that, personally. I've always said if I ever meet Lady King, if I'm ever lucky enough to meet Lady King in person, that's probably the first thing I will ask him. <laughs> I'll ask him, how do you feel about never having his own chart? And the song referring to the fact that he had a career-threatening injury yeah. from mocking, the age of 22 yeah mocking the bane of his career and yeah exactly um right let's talk about the Brentford game then shall we we can come back to Harry Kane another point I'm sure it won't be the last time we talk about him we'll probably be uh bemoaning our lack of a centre forward for the next few weeks and then calling back to remember when we had Harry Kane just like we had been with Dembele just like we had been with Chris and Erickson and the rest of them let's talk about Brentford so Dave, I'm going to come to you. I'm hoping that at the very least, in all this time off you've had, you found the time to watch some highlights, if not the full game. Have you had a little glance at Van Postecoglou's opening? I watched the, the first 10 minutes of the first half. Uh, I then had some chores to do uh, and then watched the entirety of the second. So, yeah, 50, 55 <laughs> out of 90. Such a grown up. Probably what, 55 out of 106 or whatever it was. But, yeah, I quite enjoyed it actually it's relatively enjoyable neutral watch from my perspective um at the start of the game i was getting serious serious bielsa vibes from you guys in your absolute bullishness Mm. that you had to play out from the back even though brentford were clearly all over you and i was just saying one of them just needs to hit it long. <laughs> One of them just needs to hit it long so that at least yeah. they know it's not always going to be pass short, pass short, pass short. Yeah. But credit to you guys, you know, you kept you kept high and you kept you kept doing it and you didn't pay the price, which is a good thing for you guys. But yeah, I, I am worried that that's going to bite you a few times this season and you're going to have to, in the words of another North London team, trust the process. Yeah. <laughs> I, I respect it and fear it in equal measures. I love that we're trying it, but there's every so often you just think, just, just hit this one long. Like, you, you've done well so far. Don't push it. And I think that all comes down to the goalkeeper. And I think that he's Vicario's had a lot of abuse thrown at him on Twitter from what I've seen, which I think is unfair personally. That being said, he does make me a little bit nervous when the ball's at his feet and just in general. Socks, I think you had similar thoughts on Vicario, if I remember correctly. Let's start from the back. Let's start with him. Does he make you a little bit worried? He does, yeah. I'm uneasy about him, but it's important to say that I'm not so uneasy that I think this is a mistake of a signing. I think no. with every player we would say give them time and time could be weeks, months or years. I think the issue with a goalkeeper is that it's such a specific, precious and delicate position that the time you give Vicario would lead to potentially a hell of a lot more drop points than it would be if it were a striker that was misfiring or even a centre-back not playing particularly well. I think a lot of his issues, honestly, 80 to 90% of it came from the same mistake, essentially, which was a ball being played over the top and he wasn't quite sure whether to stay or go almost every single time. And he did one of those things where he kind of semi-committed, kind of didn't. I mean, the the foul, which could have been a penalty, but probably wasn't, was one of them. There were another, Mm. there were a couple of others where there were close calls. These are things that can be coached. And sometimes we don't think of coaching goalkeepers in the way that we think of coaching outfield players so much, because normally we think of top level football and most teams have established goalkeepers already because they don't really take the risk that we've taken in bringing someone like Vicario in. But it is something that, and the same with his distribution, which I didn't think was terrible. I mean, I thought it was better than Lloris, albeit that's quite a low bar. But these are things that can be coached. But like I said, it's a case of if he starts making mistakes, the mistakes will lead to goals and goals will lead to drop points and the pressure Mm. will pile on and then it will become a mentality thing. But we simply do not have the sample size available to be able to make any kind of 
grandiose statements about uh, like no doubt there'll be people saying ah oh, well we typically chose the cheap option over david ryer yeah. and this is what you get when you take the cheap route like that narrative has been set in stone for a couple of months already yeah. but i have a feeling that this season there's not going to be a podcast that goes by where we're not generally saying something along the lines of can we please be patient with vicario <laughs> van der ven destiny Odogi, yeah. james madison the team in general the manager and i think this mm-hmm. is one of those so yeah no doubt i shit myself but i'm not in a position to yeah. to rule out the guy I think anyone we've signed that didn't cost us 80 million is going to be a stick to beat Levy with, isn't it? It's like, oh, we've got the cheap option. Look what you get if they make one mistake. So yeah, let's hope that we can rise above that. I think it's worth saying as well. I know we'll talk about it in a bit, but you know, all goalkeepers make mistakes. And the team that you're playing next, I've spent 60 million pounds on a goalkeeper who I very much look forward to seeing his mistakes as the season goes through, <laughs> which will is. definitely happen. That didn't take long. We're not even on to Man United yet, and he's already started throwing some shade. He's got his cider, so he's going to be angry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've gone all West Country. Elliot, I want to talk about the first half. I mean, the, the game on a whole, right? I want to know if you feel like you've learned anything, because... From what I can see, we grew into the game. We ended up with a lot of possession, a lot of passes, a lot of shots. Defense wasn't great. Attack was pretty good, but still some creases to iron out. Is this more or less what you expected from our first game? Or was there anything Um, that surprised you? I think it probably was. I think the biggest surprise was actually that we went from looking very good in one direction, very shaky in the other, to by the end of the game, just looking very good in one direction, period, and not having to worry about the other side. I think Ange has already shown that he has the ability to do things in-game, and that's very pleasing. I think if we're learning anything, it's that the style of football is what we've been craving to see. It is what we want to see. It's, it's passing football. It's camping in the opposition team's half. It's it's making sure that we, we play on the front foot. It's high press, so all really, really good things. Making use of the flanks, which has always been what we like to see at Tottenham. What else have we learned? Richarlison looks like a man under pressure. I feel like he was taking the extra touch every time and had he actually got his shots off a little earlier, might have been a slightly different result. There was a James Madison through ball. There was a cross that came into him from left. That's not saying Richarlison's the reason we didn't win the game, by the way. That's just saying that you can see there's a guy there who probably does fit the system very well in terms of stylistically, but definitely needs to find some confidence from somewhere to really make it work. I think... I'm not that worried that the front three weren't completely clicking because they're all good players individually. I feel like with some time, with some patience, and maybe some tweaks in it as well with yeah. other players coming to that, that's going to be absolutely fine. I think we learned that Conte not wanting to give Basuma a chance was his biggest crime. <laughs> I mean, by far, yeah. potentially. What 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 a player he suddenly looks like all of a sudden. This was the player we mm-hmm. signed from Brighton, so that was very pleasing. And I think we learned that Destiny Udogi and Mickey van der Ven are it's already nice. excellent signings. And yeah. we have a lot of reason to be very optimistic for the coming years. I mean, it was a very, very young team, most of whom have never played together. And for them to actually be that cohesive in possession was absolutely wonderful yeah. to see. And the fact that off the ball, the press was a little bit off. So we got torn through a couple of times. The defensive line didn't always get it right. So balls in behind were catching us out. You can forgive because these are the things that familiarity and coaching will improve. Um, the other thing that I think anyone watching the game has to say they learned and admit is that Emerson and Sanchez could actually do very mm. well in this team. And I mentioned them because they're two very popular scapegoats. And actually Sanchez was exceptional in my opinion. He was so composed and so 
different to the Sanchez we've come to expect. And and as for Emerson, I think he actually, like I predicted last week, he actually looks very capable of, because of his physical build, because of sort of the fact that he is fairly comfortable on the ball. He has got a bit of agility and pace. He, he looked very comfortable yeah. playing that inverted fullback role. And yeah, he got rinsed a couple of times down the left by mm. Rico Henry, but so a lot of players this year. And I think these are players that the fans now need to get on side with because yeah. we're going to need it. It makes me laugh because he's he's quite a conservative player for a lot of the game and he, he'll play the safe, simple passes. He'll do what he needs to do. He'll toe the line. But then every so often, it's almost like something goes through his head where he says, oh, I need to remind them mm. I'm Brazilian, actually. I need, to, <laughs> I need to pull off some kind of high flare trick or like a step over or a back heel or something, which is brilliant. Did you notice the link-ups with Kulusevski? First yeah. of all, Kulusevski playing him in down in behind. And also, did you see the quality of his crossing compared He's been working to what we used to? completely He's, different he, we level. know that he takes his own development seriously I mean there was that whole thing about him commissioning a personal scout report of Hakimi when Conte came in so he's obviously dedicated and hopefully we're starting to see it pay off obviously we talked about him I want to talk about pretty much every player on the pitch I know we try and avoid to do that generally but given that this is a new season and a new system and a few new players and everyone is kind of performing a different role I kind of want to walk through the whole lineup bit by bit really and then I guess talk about the goals as they come up but Elio, you touched on him a moment ago. Socks, I know you've been a huge admirer in preseason of Yves Basuma. Is he the closest thing we've had to Moussa Dembele since Moussa Dembele? Yeah. yeah, I said last week doing the predictions that he was going to be our player of the season. It's been one game, but I'd give it to him now. I've seen enough. <laughs> you know, he's, <laughs> I've seen enough. He's, I mean, the, the Dembele comparisons make a lot of sense because of the way he moves and the way yeah. he can almost like manipulate his torso, but he's obviously slightly more of a defensively minded player. Yeah. I think I've seen a lot of these comparisons. What I would say is that I think Musa Dembele was he's not Dembele. one of the best players I've ever seen play football alongside mm-hmm. Luka Modric. So I don't want to disrespect Dembele yeah. or disrespect Basuma at the same time, yeah. but I do think they're different players with similar skill sets. And I think the fact that they're both so press resistant is why the comparisons come out. But I think Basuma is definitely more of a straight six than Dembele ever was. But either way, ir- irrespective of those comparisons, I mean, yeah. anybody blessed with the gift of sight could have <laughs> could have been waxing lyrical, could sit here and wax lyrical about him based off of what he did yesterday and like Elio said it's not that much of a surprise because this is the player that we knew that we had when we signed him for Brighton and it's just criminal that we wasted 12 months from this under Conte so I'm not really sure what more I can yeah. add to the conversation beyond I hope he doesn't get injured because oh God. Don't even go until there. well until Bentacor comes back the drop off between him and our next six is quite is quite mm. significant and because he had quite a troubled injury history last season part of that was COVID but part of that was obviously him needing surgery I think on his ankle or something Hopefully he's kind of gotten over that. He had a couple of minor scares, I think, in in preseason. Yeah. But um, it's bizarre to say for a defensive midfielder, but he's a player that you'd almost pay money to watch. He's not going to yeah. score. He's not going to assist. But he is a perfect sort of Tottenham player in in the defensive mould. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I am blessed with the gift of sight. However, I do love stats, as you know. So um, it might interest you to know that Yves Basuma had more touches and completed more take-ons than any other player in the Premier League this weekend. Dave, if Moises Caicedo is worth 110 million, what's Yves Basuma worth in this market today? Did we get a good bargain or what? Dembele would be worth 250 million. Dembele would be 100%, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, the more performances like that he pulls out, yeah. the more it seems like an incredibly good piece of business from on your side. Yeah. 12 months ago, even though you did have to wait 12 months for the for the fruit of that investment. But, mm. you know, ultimately, if he can put in a performance like that every single fixture, yeah. then Sox has nailed it, player <laughs> of the season, because yeah. he was brilliant, consistent the whole game, brilliant in patches in the second yeah. half, really, really 
really broke up the play, but also gave everybody a breather when when it looked like. Interestingly, two things he did at the same time. Yeah. He broke up play and, and gave people a chance to breathe at the back, but also very quickly turned the defence into attack, which is really tricky for one player to do those two things and is a real skill because it doesn't. it's not just the ability to get stuck in David Batty style, it's also the ability to, to get your head up Gary McAllister style and play the ball. We needed two players for that. You seem to be doing it with one. You've already managed to slag off Man United and turn it into Leeds in the space of about 25 minutes. Dave. That's a skill. I admire it. Um, another player that you obviously expected big things from this season, new signing James Madison, also had an excellent game, I think. What did you make of him? Yeah, I think he was good. He was good. He was solid. His crossing was, was good and certainly much better than the stuff that I've seen Spurs call crossing um, uh, for the previous two seasons. Um, but, um, it's a low blow, but okay. Yeah, <laughs> but I think um, I think there's a lot more to come from him. I think he's probably more so than Basuma having to get used to the way that Postacoglu wants the team to play, whereas I think Basuma was a square peg in a square hole. I think Madison, no doubt he will because he's quality. He needs a bit more to get used to it because I do think at, at times there were instances where it looked like he was kind of tripping over another player. So he drifted out too far perhaps and it was him and Kulisevsky within, you know, three meters squared uh, yeah. and, and it felt like he needed to be slightly, slightly deeper or maybe overlapping or whatever. Yep. But I think it was a, it was a solid Premier League debut from him, and and yeah, I, I wouldn't be concerned if I were you that he will he will definitely come good and yeah. and get plenty of assists and plenty of goals. Definitely plenty of assists. He started off with two. He did technically. Yeah, I was yeah. a little bit unsure about one of them. It looked a little bit fortuitous, but I was quite happy because I had him in FPL, so I, I will happily take them. But the first assist, absolutely no doubt about that. Quality delivery and lovely to see Cristiano Romero go on the score sheet with his slightly dazed head. Probably a very smart decision to, to bring him off. There was a bit of a strange scenario around the substitution in the end because I think it was supposed to be a concussion substitution, but they, Andrew was saying we didn't fill out the right form and we ended up having to bring him off. So that was all a little bit of a mess. But I think obviously the important thing is it was the right decision and it was uh, putting safety first. But Davinson Sanchez came on to replace him. And I think for the second game running, looked very capable. And Elio, I know you've been quite defensive of Sanchez in the past when you've needed to. I know you've obviously criticised him as well when he's had a few bad games. But it's nice to know that we've got him loaded up for when we need him. He could do a lot worse. I think every single player that has sort of come in to try and be a mainstay in the post-Vertonghen Alderweireld era yeah. has by and large done so against managers who didn't believe in coaching. Sanchez's <laughs> formative years as a top-level footballer have been spent under managers who don't really know how to do anything without the finished product. Check with managers, if you will, though. I know that's a lazy term. It's also quite a true term. So yeah. I'm willing to be open-minded and see what happens with a manager who does believe in coaching and does believe in improving players because attributes-wise, Sanchez does have a lot. He's tall, he's agile, he's fast, he's, he's strong. So I'm willing to see what can happen. I think the really pleasing thing for me, though, was to see that actually when he got the ball, he was comfortable. He yeah. was confident. And, you know, I always say football's largely played between the ears and the actual mm. difference in ability between a lot of these guys isn't much. And something that's gone on in the past few weeks with our manager has convinced this guy that he can do a Cruyff turn on his own goal line. The Acosta is special. Well, quiet. So, so seeing him actually take his time to play measured passes, but yeah. also a couple of hoofs were necessary when we were under the cosh. See him actually think about what he was doing and actually 
feel happy to receive the ball. There was one instance when him and Vicario got themselves in a bit of a mix and the ball went out of play. But that aside, it was not the Bambi on ice that we've been seeing for mm. the past couple of seasons. And yeah, if that's going to be his rough kind of standard, then very good option to have and more suited because of his pace to the system than, well, someone like Eric Dyer, for instance. Yeah, that's just it, isn't it? I mean, so much of it comes down to confidence and what's going on in your head. And I think we saw kind of the opposite situation, unfortunately, as you hinted at earlier, with Richarlison up front. Um, Sox, obviously, head of a lot of pressure. He's stepping into the biggest boots he could possibly try and fill. And after having not the best opening season last year, it's understandable that Richarlison isn't flying at the moment. But do you think there is path for him to actually be the centre forward be the number nine that we need and how much patience do we have with him do you think in the next game I know we're kind of jumping ahead to the Man United game here a little bit but do you think in the next game or the next two games we have to start thinking about switching things up in that front line either taking Richarlison out moving Son into the middle doing something with him or does that send the message to him that we're giving up on him what do you think is the the way to approach that yeah, I think that's too premature, especially for somebody who's clearly quite fragile and confident. Yeah. I think if you've only given him three, two, three games and then you're dropping immediately, then you run the risk of sending it too far to the point where it's almost like irretrievable. So I hope mm-hmm. we don't go down that route where I hope he's least, even if he isn't starting or sun's up sort of down the middle, and he's on the left or something like that, then he's still getting some minutes. I think I don't blame him too much to be completely honest. I mean, he had two chances, one of which I thought was quite difficult where he was sort of at an angle and just had a shot on target. And then yeah. there was another where that when Madison played he went through? for the opposite. Oh, yeah, that was the one. Yeah. Mm. And then there was another where I think a ball came in from the left and he went for the wrong corner. And if he'd yes. gone for sort of the keeper's near post down his right-hand side, maybe he would have scored. But yeah. and inevitably, everybody says Harry Kane would have scored that, which yeah. to be honest, he probably would have. But yeah. <laughs> this is a post-Harry Kane world. We're going to have to get used to these sorts of growing pains. But uh, the reason I don't put that much of a blame on him, and, and I think we'll talk about it as well, is that on both sides, we don't really have the 1v1 wingers that we need to be putting the crosses into the box. I mean, how many clear-cut chances did we create for him? Both of those chances that we're talking about, one of them is a half chance at best. Yeah. So the fact that he looked so anonymous was because we didn't really give anything or put anything on his plate. If we were doing that and he was skying it and missing it, then I'd be more worried. So I think a large part of it will be... And again, look, I said 15 minutes ago, we're going to need patience. We're going to be saying a lot this season. <laughs> it's come slightly quicker than I thought it would. Yeah. But here it is again. We're going to need patience. Like... The entire team is completely new. Bar yeah. Emerson, Romero, because Basuma barely played last year, so he's new. Yeah. So it's really Emerson, Romero, Kulisevsky, and Son. Because Richarlison didn't really start as a forward last yeah. year. He was mostly yeah. off of the right. It's a completely new team under a completely new coach with a massively... Even, even Son is in a different yeah, position, different really. Role. Even he, you could say, is doing a new role, yeah. A disrupted preseason. When Richarlison did play, he only played sort of 45 minutes at a time like they all did in preseason up front. I mean... What are we expecting? Sort of a hat trick. Like, I understand the concerns, but I, I almost feel like the concerns are coming off the back of what he did last year. And that's having a massive influence on how we feel about it now. And that's not necessarily incorrect, but yeah. almost everybody was crap last year outside of Benson Core and Kane, basically. I don't think we can sit here and say, look how much better Basuma is under the right coach and then go, oh, Richarlison's gone a season in a bit now, sort of without scoring because we're, yeah. we're sort of contradicting ourselves. So mm. I'm. I, like I say, I hope we don't drop him. I hope we do give him more time yeah. down the middle, up the left or whatever. And hopefully it's the case of once the first one goes in, even if it you know gets hit by somebody else, flies off his ass, he's offside, VAR misses it and it goes into the back of the net. However yeah, it comes, anything. it doesn't really matter. 
just to kind of get the floodgates to open and let's see. But I think this is something we revisit in five or six matches when we have a little bit more data and a bit more evidence. And then I think we can actually have a conversation about like, is this the long-term solution or have we properly f***ed up here? (laughs) And I think you're absolutely right in talking about him deserving the same kind of, let's see how he is after a bit of coaching, a bit of a run, a bit of familiarity, same as we are giving other players. Because this is a guy who you've identified, Dave identified, John, when he was a guest recently, identified has done it in the Premier League and is suited in most ways to the system. So you have to go with what you've got at the moment. And like you said, sort of the two instances you've alluded to, the cross from the left and being put through, a slightly earlier decision on both, which is what you'd get with a more confident version of him. And you could have two goals there. So, Mm -hmm. So definitely not one to give up on. I would say that my mind did go to what if he was on the left and Son was down the middle the other day just in terms of stylistic yeah. fit, but that's a completely different conversation. That's the thing. It's it's weighing up the short term with man management, isn't it? With the psychology of the players, because I, I can't help feeling we would be better with Son in the middle and someone like Solomon or even Perisic who's looked pretty good whenever he's played on the left. But it, it's just the message it sends that worries me a little bit. But yeah, I would love nothing more than to see a Richarlison goal in one of the next couple of games for sure. Uh, another new man. We've got lots of debutants and new players. Dave, I really want to hear what you think of Mickey van der Ven because in our predictions last week, you seem to have it in for him. And I was wondering if you know something we don't because you have this idea that he's going to be an absolute liability getting yellow cards, more yellow cards than Romero and more suspensions than Romero, I think is what you called in your hot takes where has this come from have you been watching Wolfsburg games and seeing him hack players down or something what, what do we need to no, know it hasn't it's not that I mean it's kind of 3D maybe even 4D chess in my mind but I don't think it's actually based in reality yeah. although interestingly I, I, I remember I was, I was messaging you guys because you just scored and I turned off just before you scored of course um, to do my chores uh, that's a euphemism by the way um, and I said oh why has he gone off yeah and I was like, has he got a yellow card for arguing with someone and, and Postecoglou glad <laughs> to take him off before he killed someone? I was like, oh, there goes my hot take of the year. But really, my, my theory was Romero's going to be in a more senior role within the team. He should therefore calm down. Yeah. Van der Ven is going to use his pace, but the strikers are better and faster in the Premier League than he's used to day in, day out, and therefore is likely to be caught out more times than he has been in the past. And he can't rely on that pace every time. So my theory was the way that Posture Hoodler is going to play and the way that Van der Ven, and we've seen, we've seen, you know, Van der Ven uses his pace quite, quite a lot. I mean, granted, we've only seen that of a handful yeah. of clips, but that was kind of my two plus two equals nonsense okay interesting I, I take your explanation for that let's hope you're entirely wrong and, and he is actually as many people have been predicting the second coming of Jan Vertonghen and is nothing short of a classy genius defender Elio you were very impressed with Van Der Ven weren't you you thought he uh, you thought you had shades of Vertonghen you thought he had a great debut I did I mean alright Vertonghen is <laughs> probably the second best centre back I've seen at Spurs after Leslie King and I, I include all the viral Sol Campbell Gary Mabin that I think Vertonghen was well class at his mm-hmm. best this guy his pace is frightening there are a few times where he covered around the back there's one tackle into just before a shot went which was absolutely brilliant his round the body tackle of the ball that bounced in front of him and they started screaming for a penalty when yeah. it was, was actually, actually a tackle. tackle was yeah. very very impressive so the way he uses his body and his pace is absolutely brilliant but I think the fact that he was happy to actually get on the ball stay on the ball look up see what the best pass was and do that every single time not once do I think he ever panicked in a game that was 
fast and furious even by Premier League standards. I mean, this was a very end-to-end, very, very aggressive match against a team that have been playing that pressing game for a few years now. So yeah. I think the composure he showed and the calmness he showed, if he can do that against Brentford, he can do that against most teams in this league. So I was yeah. really, really happy with that. I think we probably will get the odd time where he overestimates his pace and gets done, which is yep. fine. He's a 21-year-old centre-back and he's going to make mistakes and he's going to learn. But there is a lot to work with. And if his debut is anything to go by, then getting him for a £35 million in a market where good centre-backs go for double that is... Mm. It is a is a miraculous piece of business. Yeah, Chelsea would have spent 100 million on him, no questions asked, wouldn't they? Um, I agree. I think he looks very good. Probably not the finished article just yet, but that tackle was a perfect tackle. No shades of penalty. The question is, and Dave, this is where we need your impartiality. Was Son's tackle a penalty, the equaliser for Brentford? Because I was screaming some abuse at the referee at that moment, so I need you to step in. That was between 10 minutes and half time, wasn't it? <laughs> Oh, here we go. All right, Dave, you can be led off on this, but I'd like you to look up the highlights in the meantime while Sox takes that question away oh, from fine, your hands. Fine, so, fine. What do you think? Was that a penalty decision? Was that the right call? If it was Sun and he was being kicked by someone else, oh, yeah. even if he had gone down holding the wrong shin, I would have said there's <laughs> enough contact there for him to go yeah. down. <laughs> it's probably, I, I would have wanted it, but it's yeah. definitely in the soft as opposed to Stonewall. Yeah. You know, it's the quote-unquote seen them given yeah but yeah I, I always i always in my mind try and swap shirts in my head and then look at it and go okay would i be screaming for a penalty if this was us and i probably would have been so yeah it was one of those where if it was if it wasn't given i'd be sat here going yeah you know maybe we just about got away with it or, or whatever it's, it's borderline it's absolutely it's absolutely borderline yeah. but look it's a i don't know what sun was supposed to do it's one of those things where your momentum is just going to kind of carry into him so i don't yeah. really think sun's done anything wrong there but uh we're gonna have a lot of these aren't we this is, this is football it's one of those <laughs> so many. Ones, isn't it? it's like a handball where you just what you're meant to do move your hand out the way i think i'm not that annoyed by the fact that it was given as a penalty i'm more annoyed with how it was given as a penalty if it was given straight away then i'd have thought yeah. okay that's a bit soft it's a bit harsh but the contact was made but the contact was made the guy fell in the wrong direction for when the contact made was made he held the wrong leg and i mean he definitely didn't have the ball under control even at the time really i think when it's that soft and it then takes that long for var to give it that's my complaint about it i mean i think that is not a clear and obvious error and the amount of time it took to give it shows that and i i really i really resent the fact that we we did have our lead taken away from us like that like i said if it was given straight away then i'd have understood why but it was a 50 50 penalty at best the sort that's when you don't get them you say you see them given and when you do get see them given you say that was a bit soft the fact that the referee didn't give in it the decision should have stood and it's just yet another example of var spoiling football yeah it's a tough one because i remember a few years ago where we had one against i think it was city at home and it was an absolute stonewall penalty but they still took about two minutes to give it for some bizarre reason but yeah. you looked it was already that went in behind on someone mm. and it took them absolutely ages but if you looked at it and if that was the other way around we would have gone there's no way in hell that the most stonewall of penalties wasn't given so 
not to go off on a tangent, because this is more of a VAR issue at this point. But oh, well, let's not do that. We'll if, be again, here for half an hour. If it was in reverse, we wouldn't have minded if the game progressed for 90 seconds or whatever it was, only for them to go back and give it. Yeah. That's just my theory on it. Yeah. So so that's the penalty. That Obviously, not long afterwards, they took the lead. A bit of a, a bit of a shambles of a goal. Do we blame anyone for that goal? Because obviously, I think some people have pointed fingers at Vicario, some people at uh, Van der Ven. Was that just one of those that you just got to say, just took a deflection, not much you can do, probably shouldn't have allowed them the shot in the first place. But anyone particularly upset about that? conceding that goal um, I think that's the consequence of how we want to play we're playing mm. a massively high line every attack they did was effectively the same thing kick it long and it was Visa down the side of Mbomo Emerson yeah. didn't quite have the pace or the strength to really keep up with Visa down the side yeah. there was nobody really I guess claiming for it in the middle either Sanchez there was nobody really covering it and then it was just an unlucky deflection that went past Vicario but yeah. we're going to concede a lot like that that's why we signed Van de Ven because we need someone with that sort of a recovery pace like it is quite <laughs> a quick back four but the slowest of that back four is Emerson. So if there is one side that you're going to target, it will mm-hmm. be down Emerson's side. I think as time goes on, and you know, again, they barely had any time to play with each other under this system, Postacoglu will figure something out where the pace of your right centre-back, i.e. Romero or Sanchez, will be able to help and kind of cover that side because that is yeah. the side. If I'm attacking Tottenham, I'm going down that one. So Familiarity will mean that we defend better as a unit. Familiarity will also mean that we keep even more of the ball and therefore don't concede as many attacks like that as we are going to at the moment. I was going to say, you mentioned Emerson there. So first of all, the most important question before we get into talking about him, uh, Dave, is that a certifiable thunder bastard from Emerson Royale? Because I feel like it has to go into the mix. Um... You having that one? Yeah. Yeah, because it's him. He's not going to score many. You can give it to him, shall we? Yeah, I think that that is an additional factor, isn't it? You have to factor <laughs> yeah. in that it's someone who doesn't normally score goals. <laughs> yeah. But therefore, it adds like, I don't know, three points on the on the Thunderbast spectrum. Yeah. Um, but but no, it was, a, it was a good finish. I, I prefer my Thunderbasters to be in the air, well, I must say. But yeah, it, it did it did travel like a rocket. So. It certainly did. I think it's the fact that he basically drifted into that defensive midfield position. It's that whole DM thing, isn't it? That's, that seems to be the, the trick to the Thunderbaster. Um, but joke aside, he he was playing in a slightly unfamiliar role, albeit having trialed out there a few times in preseason. And interestingly, Udogi was also, or Udogi, I should say, I keep saying his name wrong. He was also playing in an inverted capacity. They were both kind of moving in, which is what we expected from Ange in the first place, whereas wasn't quite what we saw in every preseason game. Elio, you mentioned Udogi before the game, and, and use this opportunity to talk about Emerson as well. As a unit working in this sort of inverted box midfield, what did you make of them? Um, I'd say B plus for Adogi and B minus for Emerson. I think yeah. both did very well. Adogi is one to get very excited about. He'll have to be a little bit quick off his heels going forward because I do think the pace hit him a bit hard and fast a couple of times, but overall actually did very well. There was one point where he absolutely bullied the hell out of Mbomo, I think it was, which was quite pleasing to see, and then won the free kick off the back of it as well. So that is sort of something to be excited about. Emerson on the other side, and he's only 24, once again has got everything you want physically for the role. I think he started off a little bit rusty at times, but as the game went on, he grew in confidence, put a few good crosses. And there's a really good balance there, a really, really good balance. That's not to rule out someone like Pedro Porro making an impact long-term, but I think right now that is the correct pairing. They both have the ability to go on the outside or tuck in and be inverted. Um, And it's just a case of them almost being some kind of cross-pitch double pivot in the way they play, I guess, in that when one comes in, the other has to go out and vice versa. And if they get that right, then we're going to have a really nice varied attack all season. 
it's yeah. it's early days, but the signs are really, really promising. I think what I like about it is that this is what we're seeing off the back of a disjointed preseason and a completely brand new back six, if you include Basuma as a back six. So let's see what it looks like in 10 yeah. games time. I think we'll be pleased. Yeah, reasons to be optimistic. I think it all started to take shape a little bit, particularly in that second half. 18 shots, 70% possession, 711 passes completed in a match that I think a lot of people thought we would really struggle in. Speaking of matches that people think we're going to struggle in, our next game, albeit our home opener of the season, is against Man United, a team that we have not beaten since that 6-1 victory under Jose Mourinho at Old Trafford. And it's even longer ago that we actually won at home. So um, certainly the odds and the statistics are against us there. Dave, I know you're completely impartial on all things Man United and you're going to be a complete professional on this, but how do you rate Spurs' chances in that one? Is this going to be a different game and is this going to be a different outcome? I think your chances are good. Hmm. You're at home. Manchester United are, well, they're playing right now, so we, we can't United, really judge say. them yet. We don't, we don't really know, we don't really know what, they're, what they're going to be. What they're going to be this season. Um, yeah. They've guffed a lot of money on three players: sixty million on Anana, sixty-five million on Mount, and absolutely ridiculous seventy-three million on Rasmus Hoyland, um, <laughs> who is injured He's not and probably back, won't play until until January, really, because uh, that's what you do. Yeah, they've they've had a bit of a clean out yeah. in, with with some of their players, and I think that's kind of what they needed. Ten Hag is a decent manager, as much as it hurts me to say it. And I really, you know, I I, I do pine for the the glory the years of Ole Solskjaer. Yeah. You know, score, you know, winning a couple of games, and then you know Rio just saying just sign the contract. That, that, <laughs> they were good times, weren't they? Um, but now they they seem to have a sensible grown up in charge, and 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 therefore. The risk is that they will perennially and forevermore be up in the challenging for trophies. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they won one last season. I probably win another one this season. But Onana's got a mistake in him. Their defense is not watertight. I'm not. I'm still. I'm still remain very unconvinced by Juan um, Bissaka. Martinez is just a. He's just a well, weird one, isn't he? He's, everybody thinks he's the second coming of Cannavaro because he's a short defender, but in fact, he's just a. A short, annoying defender, and yeah, I don't think I don't think Ten Hag really knows what his best front four is either. So I think he's probably still going to be experimenting with that at the start of this season. I mm. mean, I've just looked at the the lineups that are happening right now, and Sancho's on the bench. He he just doesn't have a chance, does he? They've started Garnacho ahead of Sancho, so I don't know how that tell, tells you about about where Sancho is. But yeah. if I were you guys, I'd I'd put in a cheeky thirty million bid for him and see if you can see if you can nab him. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think at home. The way that you guys play, I think, gives you a good chance. But at the same time, the risk is the pacey players like Garnacher and like Rashford. Is Rashford yeah. injured? Rashford, no, Rashford's starting. No, he's up front today. He's, he's fully firing. He's playing today. He'll be there. Um, yeah. Just didn't notice him. Uh, yeah, um, the, the pacey players like that, I think um, that's the risk that you've got, especially when yep. you've got Ratface Bruno Fernandes and Ratface <laughs> 2 Mason Mount playing some decent up balls over the top. So. Yeah. Yeah. Is it weird? Is it me? Or is it weird how Manchester United have an incredible ability to pick people who look like they should play for Manchester United? <laughs> there, are, there are a handful of punchable faces in that dressing room, I have to Massively say. Massively punchable no faces. I, watched, I, was watching, I was watching Sky Sports News and Raphael Varane, who I've never really looked at before, uh, walked in and he had the <laughs> smuggest I'm a prick face. <laughs> Just wanted to hit him. Um, but anyway, uh, that's a side I'm note. I'm cutting yeah, you off, I think, Dave. I think you're, there's you're, danger. You're, getting, you're, you're letting your biases show through. I thought you were a professional. Yeah, sorry. What was, to what profe- is this? Professional Dave. 
it's going to be a tough game. You've got to be aware of the counter-attack because if Brentford were good, Manchester United are going to be good as well. But if it clicks up front, I think you can get a result. Well, that's just it. I think what they have in common with Brentford is that one of their most powerful weapons is the pace, is the counter. And I think that's what we were all worried about. And we dealt with it okay, I suppose. Uh, where they differ, I guess, is that, yeah, they probably will be playing slightly more on the front foot. But unlike us, they are probably building on something of a consistent lineup. They have made a few changes, but they're definitely not as much tear the whole thing up and start again as we are. Elio, I need your optimism here because I praised you last week about the fact that even in the face of impending doom, uh, no matter who we're playing, no matter what the situation of the respective clubs, you always find a reason to be hopeful. And I, I need that from you now because the bookies, pretty much everyone, Spurs fans and otherwise, and media are all expecting us to struggle i need you to tell me where we can beat this man united side uh, and i will keep an eye on how they're doing as wolves while you speak well i'm looking at their midfield today it's casemiro bruno and mason mount mm. and i think casemiro is obviously a very very good player so we know that he's going to be hard to get past but i'm looking at the other two and thinking that we can probably match up quite nicely to them i mean i think skip's likely to get the drop after the other day we're likely to see either hoi bsr or lacelso yeah. come in but yeah mount is well mount is one of the most mediocre i, I hate the term most mediocre you can't be more or less mediocre you're just mediocre <laughs> yeah. and mount is um, mediocre. degrees of mediocrity uh, th- there aren't <laughs> degrees of mediocrity you just are and he he really is i can't yeah. believe for that in a summer where we got madison for 40 million this guy went for 60 million off the back of i don't know being reese james mate i guess um bruno fernandez is obviously an exceptional footballer but he can flit in and out if the team doesn't play to his strengths admittedly since cristiano ronaldo was ex Styles. they've learned how to play to his strengths again yeah. so so that's something we have to be aware of but i think the main thing we need to go into this game doing is think we're relatively evenly matched to them they have some players that would get into our side we have some that would get into theirs but we are at home we are already quite far along in developing the way we want to play in possession so we need to impose ourselves as much as possible if we go into this game thinking how are we going to stop Rashford how are we going to stop Anthony how are we going to stop Bruno then we will lose and that is exactly what would yeah. have happened under our last manager if and that's we go not what Andrew will be thinking is it Andrew will be thinking how are we going to score he, against them exactly his comment the other day was he wants to scare the life out of the opposition so if we go into this game <laughs> thinking we're going to keep the ball up the pitch with Kulusevsky, with Son, with James Madison, with let's say Richarlison if he plays as well, and he probably will, then that's where we have the chance of winning by making sure that we're the team with with the ball and with opportunities to score. I, I, th- I think it's a coin toss on this one, which is probably as negative as I'll ever get about any of our matches, as you know, but I don't see why we should be scared into this game. I just think we need to not give them too much respect and remember to play to our strengths not try to stop theirs but that's always been my attitude with football I think the moment you you start worrying about the opposition you're 1-0 down anyway well that's it isn't it the best teams the teams that win things you can't imagine that they go out and actually think oh no we're scared of this what are we going to do they're thinking how are we going to get the best out of what we've got uh, Sox what do you think of all that are you as optimistic well maybe optimistic is the wrong word um, you're as hopeful as Elio do you think that there is a route to, to beat this Man United team do you think that they leave space in behind do you think they might struggle with the way we're playing in a moment particularly in that second half against Brentford we'll probably lose <laughs> that's it that's what I need <laughs> bring me right back down to no, earth uh, um, I, I don't know and I kind of feel like every prediction I'll make for quite a while is I'm not sure and it's less to do with them and it's more to do with us because I just haven't we've had one game and they've had one year 
So That's I'm it. expecting a fairly open game. I, honestly, I think if you ask me my prediction for any of the first handful of games, I'm, I think all of them are going to be like 3-3 three, three draws because I don't really know much about mm. us. I, I know that we're open at the back. I know we're going to keep attacking. I trust us to score, but I don't trust us to keep anything out at the moment. So it's a really, really difficult one. I mean, they're not the perfect team. I suppose they are vulnerable, but they are a very solid one. I, I think they took a few people by surprise last year. I don't think anybody had them as a top four side. And obviously a large part of that was how bad ourselves Liverpool and Chelsea did. But yeah. I think they have strengthened a fair bit. Onana I haven't seen much of. Dave seems to suggest that he has a mistake or two in him, which he did against us, against Ajax, to be fair in the infamous uh, 3-2, which is the only time I've ever really kind of consistently seen him. I'm not sure I completely agree on how mediocre mm. Mason Mount is, but I also I agree in the sense that I'm yet to see what everybody else has seen, which means we'll probably see it in a few days' time, to be honest, now that I've said that. But um, <laughs> yeah, look, yeah. they're a good side. It's, uh, it's, a, it's honestly a game I always look forward to, even if we haven't had the best record against them, because traditionally they've always been a side that have come out and played as well. And it's very rare that we have mm. a boring game against them, even if it doesn't go for us. Exactly. So, I'm expecting yeah. something that's free-flowing with two sides that are just going to attack relentlessly and 2-2, 3-3, 4-4, nothing nothing really would surprise me. Bring it on. It can back up my claim that we're going to break the record for total goals in our games across the Premier League season. We're already off to a good start on that front with four in our opener. Um, so I'm delighted that you said we were going to lose purely because I feel like if all three of you had sat there and said that we're going to beat Man United, it might have um, shrouded the veil of impartiality a little bit. Uh, but that's, that's nice to see that we've got a little bit of a mix there. I'm not going to call anything, of course, because I'm going to sit <laughs> firmly on the fence where I like to stay. But this is probably a great opportunity to uh, introduce a secret guest that we have had on the show, waiting in the wings, and somebody who's actually going to be joining us next week, who's just been having to sit there quietly listening to his team getting absolutely roasted over and over again, which, which I'm sure he's <laughs> been biting his tongue. But Harry, welcome to the Plus Dave podcast. I mean, you've been sitting there very politely listening to Dave and, and Elio trash all your new signings and, and the rest of it. So first of all, you're going to be on the show next week. You're a Man United fan. Yeah. And you are, am I right? You have just turned, you're, you're 17 years old at the moment, right? Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Well, you're, you're by far, you're, you're way, way younger than all of us and probably no, more knowledgeable than all of us as well. So uh, I'm, I'm slightly, slightly worried that by the time I come back, they'll have kicked me off and you'll have taken my place. But uh, how, how have you found listening to this so far? Do you feel like you've, you've got a right to stand against your accusers and defend your team? Uh, I think there's there's definitely some opinions that I disagree with, but there's also some opinions that I do agree with. I think I'm yeah. very in the middle. I feel like towards Man United, possibly, you know, on the plus Dave, and we're a bit, oh, yeah. bit more negative than we should be. But as for the game next week, I'm exactly the same as everyone. I'm very much on the fence. I think it could go either way. <laughs> It's very much a 50-50. Yeah. I would, if I had a gun to my head and I had to choose, it probably would be Man United, obviously because of the experience that we've had as a team. Um, yeah. But I'm, I'm, honestly, I, cu- I could not tell you. It is a tough one, isn't it? Is, is there enough about what you saw from Spurs, though, that worries you a little bit? Are you a little bit scared of, of our attack from that second half? Um, I think you played very well for a team that mm. is, you know, first Premier League match with a couple new yeah. signings. Uh, it, it was more free-flowing than I expected. You played with a lot of cohesion. But, you know, it could be different any game. You know, there's yeah. 38 games in a season. Whether that carries on and you build momentum off of that is unknown yet. So, 
Exactly. And it's, it's a step up, isn't it? I think it's fair to say with the greatest respect to Brentford, you're probably going to give us quite a challenge. So um, so I guess <laughs> just to kind of give a bit of context, the reason you're, well, one of the reasons you're coming on the show is that you have aspirations of becoming a sports journalist, right? That's that's what you're yeah. aiming towards. That's what you're studying for. And um, this is a bit of experience towards that. So I think, you know, much like Tim Sherwood giving Harry Kane his big break, we're making <laughs> dreams come true on the show today. That's, that's how I'm looking at this. What are you doing about that at the moment? Are you kind of studying or what's the story there? Uh, I'm currently in sixth form. I'm studying my yeah. A-levels and yeah. I'm going into my last year at the moment. We haven't started yet. I go back in September yeah. and then I plan to attend the UA92 University where I'll study sports journalism uh, as it. a degree. So, yeah. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, obviously, wish you all the best of that. And you have some great practice next week dealing with Elio and Dave trashing your team and sticking <laughs> up for it. But depends on how the result goes, I guess. Um, a little bit of advice for an old man. I once upon a time had aspirations myself of being a sports journalist. And I guess you could say I've kind of uh, pulled it back a little bit. But don't give up on it because people will tell you to go and get a real job and do something with a suit and tie. Mm. Don't <laughs> listen to those people. Those people yeah. don't know what they're doing and they're, they're old in the way. Uh, but no, Thank obviously, uh, great to see and pleasure to have you on and looking forward to hearing how you get on next week. Thank you. Right, guys, I think we've covered most of the main points. And obviously, I'm, I'm conscious that we are eating into some of the time where we could all be watching our next opponents, Man United. I myself am going to be watching our game next week, would you believe, Dave, in Leeds. I can't remember if I told you that. Good omen. I'm off in Leeds for next weekend, which is going to be an interesting experience for me because um, I think I mentioned before, I live in the point of the country where East London meets Essex, where, as you can imagine, it's a very West Ham heavy zone. So every time I go to the pub to watch Spurs, it's like it's me against absolutely everybody else and the entire pub is cheering for whoever we're playing and I feel like watching Man United in Leeds I might find myself having the opposite experience so so that's going to be an interesting one. Elio do you have any closing thoughts on the Brentford game on anything we've got going on or anything Spurs related on Harry Kane or on the Man United game? Not really very sad to have lost uh, the best player that I've seen at Spurs in my lifetime. Probably a top five, well, definitely a top five Spurs player of all time. Uh, yeah. I think even uh, older generations would agree with. He's the Glenn Hoddle of our lifetime. And uh, yeah, I I hope that when we look back at his career in a decade's time, it won't include a return to England to play for one of our rivals now that we have made the decision to dodge that bullet a year in advance. In terms of Brentford, promising start, really happy with what we saw and think we've got a lot to build on. In terms of Manchester United, always one of the best atmospheres of the season. I absolutely love the fixture itself and it's usually one of the fixtures where I get angriest because of the way the refs tend to go as well. So expect (laughs) me to have a sore throat when I'm hosting next week. (laughs) Yeah, I can imagine so. Socks, any closing thoughts? Uh, I wasn't planning on anything, but only off the back of that. Ledley King is the greatest player of our generation. He's the greatest player <laughs> any of us have ever seen. Yeah. He's the greatest centre-back of the last 30 years, and he's the greatest centre-back ever to have kicked a football. Yeah. With one knee or two. I will die on this hill. I will defend yeah. him to the grave. And the disrespect he has been getting the past few weeks, just by people mentioning Kane is the best player he's ever seen, is completely and utterly unwarranted. Uh, Thank uh, you and good night. I think they would agree with me and say Harry, Harry Kane belongs firmly behind Dembele in the all-time pecking order for greatest Spurs players. What do you think, Dave? Oh. 100%. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. Dembele, yeah. Um, Dembele is the man and he will show me the way. <laughs> exactly. Dave, are you looking forward to next week where we will have a completely partisan crowd and no one even remotely impartial for the entire 
experience looking back on that game. Uh, yeah, should be should be fun. Uh, it'll be interesting to um, well, first and foremost, it's interesting to hear a Manchester United fan with a Manchester United accent. Uh, but, uh, but, <laughs> a rare but, breed. But yeah, I'm uh, I'm looking forward to it. It'll be it'll be interesting to see what you guys have got against them, and it'll be interesting to see how those guys' season is unfolding. Hopefully, it'll be. Uh, for two by then and uh, and it'll be funny well let's see we'll have that to look forward to I won't be there of course but Harry will be there Elio will be hosting you can all have a look at that in the meantime please follow us on Twitter as always at Plus Dave Podcast you can follow me at Plus Dave Dags and you can follow Elio at Elio underscore P underscore THFC and you can follow Dave at Fantasy Dave um, I feel like Sox has given up on, on Twitter at this point so uh, until he makes a serious one I'm going to leave him out of these discussions but of course get in touch with us let us know any <laughs> thoughts you have on anything Spurs related Harry Kane Man United Brentford anything you like and uh, we might just read it out on here Socks you had something to add I will mention this every week every episode until it happens yep. please someone email to us <laughs> please, just, email so- just email <laughs> someone Socks. else he wants an email okay somebody uh, think of an, em- an email it doesn't matter what you ask you can, you can ask him what he's going to have for dinner next week he doesn't mind just anything what my favourite colour is yeah whatever whatever just just get in touch with us and we can have that and while you're at it also I feel like we can just about get away with this but you can join our FPL league I know we've already had a few games it might be a bit cheeky joining at this point but if you missed the boat please join our FPL league the code is 4GRD80 that's 4GRD80 not 0 so uh, join that and you can try and take on the might of Elio who this week put Erling Haaland as his third sub and somehow still managed to get away with it because he had Isaac as captain brilliant well thank you all of you guys for joining this week I hope many of you as possible can join us for the next episode where you'll be hearing the team's thoughts on the Man United game and looking forward to whatever comes up ahead thanks for listening stay classy Spurs fans and we'll see you next week (laughs) 